Thank you for taking time to listen to this sermon from Hope Church Toronto North. It is our prayer that through this message, you are challenged and encouraged by the Word of God and grow in your love for God and love for others. It is God's desire for us to be members of and regularly participate in a local church under the care of qualified elders. If you are not attending a local church right now, we encourage you to take that step. If you do live in the North York area and are looking for a local church, we invite you to visit us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings to discern if this is the church God is leading you to. Good morning. Well, if you have your Bibles, uh, please open them up to the book of 1 Corinthians. We're going to be in chapter 12. Uh, today, we're just going to be taking a quick break from our series in the book of Nehemiah, but don't worry, we aren't going too far in terms of the message that we heard. Last week, if you were here, Pastor Marv preached on Nehemiah chapter 3 and told us what is needed to continue to build or maintain a healthy, strong local church. This week, I want us to focus on this passage, and it shows us how God has composed the church. See, Pastor Marv and I, a while back, were putting together these bookshelves, and uh, three of them turned out pretty good, uh, the other two, not so much. And the reason was because we didn't look at the instructions. We just tried to go at it. Now, I'm not going to say whose fault it was, but it wasn't mine. Now, in the same way, we want to be part of or strive forward towards being a strong, local, stable, healthy church, like we heard last week, it's wise of us, if we want to do that, to look at the blueprint to look at the way God, who's the architect, the designer of the local church, has put it together so that we can follow his wisdom and his plan so that it doesn't turn out like the bookshelves that Pastor Marv and I put together, unstable and unable to do what it was designed to do. We want to look at the way God has put together the church so that we can build and maintain something that will last and that it will bring God glory. In the passage that we're going to be looking at, Paul is reminding a church that is in the middle of conflict and difficulty and disunity that God has composed his church in a particular way. And if they listen, if they follow his plan, then the church can walk in fullness and function the way God wants it to. What the passage is going to show us is that God is strategic in the way that he has composed his church. God is strategic in the composition of his church. Well, if you're able, if you're at 1 Corinthians chapter 12, I'm going to encourage you to stand as I read from God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12. It says this, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? 
If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for this morning in the, in the ways that you have already worked in us by tuning our hearts to yourself. We pray that you would continue to do a work in us by your spirit to help us to understand your word. You need to do the work of feeding your people, and so I pray that you would be with me. I pray that you'd be with your people, that as we receive what you have for us, that we would listen and obey. It's easy to just receive and go, but we pray that your spirit would take the word that we hear this morning, that it would plant it deep in us and it would produce fruit in us in keeping with your word. Would you do a work, we pray in Christ's name, amen. Amen, you may be seated. Now the passage is going to show us God is strategic in the composition of his church. Well, how? Well, first, God strategically produced unity in our church. God strategically produced unity in our church. Look at verse 12. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. Now, the Bible uses many kinds of pictures to talk about us and our relationship with God. It calls Christ the vine and us the branches. It calls God the, the shepherd and we are the sheep of his pasture. And here, Paul uses another one. We are members of Christ's body. In the same way, our physical bodies, though are made up of individual parts, whether it be limbs or organs, they still make up one whole, a body. The church, though made up of different people, Paul tells us, is one body in Christ. What Paul's trying to emphasize for us is our unity in Christ, our belonging to one another. Like the sun in the sky produces warmth here for us, faith in the sun produces union with his people. There are no such things as solo Christians there's no such thing as a one-member church. This union that we have, though, needs to be pursued. Union with God's people must flow into communion with God's people. This union, which is our positional reality by virtue of our union with Christ, needs to be exercised in fellowship and communion with his people. 
Now, what that means is it's possible that someone can be united to the body, but not walking in communion with the body. But like an amputated limb, it's not going to be thriving. Health and vitality is found when you are part of the body. Now, getting real practical, what this passage so far already is showing us is that membership is practical. Membership is biblical. It's part of God's good and wise plan for you. It's where you can grow, are cared for, can care for one another, are held accountable. So the word to you is if you are not a member, consider embracing God's good design for you. Consider embracing his good plan and his wisdom and become a member, whether it be here or at another healthy local church with qualified leadership. You need to be part of a church. Doesn't mean here, but somewhere. Be part of Christ's body because it's the way that you exercise that union you have with them. Now, how is this unity brought about? Well, verse 13 tells us. Take a look at it with me. For in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. How is this unity brought about? Well, it's through our common participation in the spirit, because the same spirit has done that work of regeneration in us and converted us to Christ. The spirit then birds us into union with the body. The reason why we are one body, the reason why we are united to one another is because there is one spirit, because there is one gospel, one savior, one salvation. When we come to him and are united to Christ, we are united to his body, creating one people. Friends, what this means is that there's one means to peace with God. There's only one way to to have salvation, and it's through faith in the divine son, Jesus Christ, who lived the life that we should have lived, who died the death that we deserved, and who rose again in victory, and then shares and offers that life-giving newness to us. And it's this one gospel that produces this one people who belong to one another, See, the spirit that brings this about through the gospel brings us together. And it brings people together who would otherwise never be in fellowship with each other. Did you notice the categories that Paul brings up in verse 13? Jews or Greeks, slaves or free. These racial and social distinctions that were barriers in the early church that once divided people are no longer significant. Because they're one body, because the same spirit has done a work in them through the one gospel regarding the one savior. Now, it's helpful for us to see this. Why? Because the culture around us attempts to create unity based on these distinctions, based on these identities, whether it be ethnicity, social status, or gender. But the reality is that these distinctions become the very limiting borders of the unity that's possible. The only hope for unity that goes beyond these borders, these distinctions that's real and lasting is produced only through faith in the Son and the work that the Spirit does in us. Now, to be clear, that doesn't mean that those distinctions are gone. 
It's possible for us to recognize and even honor the distinctions and the differences in the way that God has made us as people. But these distinctions that would be primary apart from Christ are now secondary in Christ. Union with Christ becomes our primary identity that unites us then to one another. We are one body in Christ. But as Paul goes on to say, it doesn't mean that we're all the same. Look at verse 14. For the one body does not, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. What Paul tells us is God not only strategically produced unity in our church, but God strategically arranged diversity in our church. See, in verse 12 to 13, Paul is emphasizing the unity that we have with one another. But here, Paul wants to emphasize the diversity that is found in that unity. Yes, there is one body, but in that one body, in verse 14, Paul tells us, it's not made up of just one member. It's made up of many. Unity does not mean uniformity. But if we're honest, and I hope you are, Isn't that a temptation to believe that true unity can only be found when we're all the same? We naturally gravitate to people who are just like us. But the reality is that's not real unity. You're just with people who look exactly like you, act like you, talk like you, think like you. It's easy to be with people who are just like you. But it takes work to love and to be with people who are different than you. And it's that temptation towards sameness and uniformity that Paul then goes on to address. Look at verse 15. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand and I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Verse 16, and if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. Paul is telling us that there's Christians here in this church, in the church of Corinth, that whether it be from a place of pride, being puffed up, or their, their, their attitudes are deflated because they're feeling excluded, that they look around, and because everyone else looks different than them, they say, I'm out. But Paul says this diversity in personality, gifting, skill, background does not make someone any less part of the body. In fact, this diversity is not only welcome, but it's essential to the vitality of the church. Look at verse 17. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? Paul is saying a body just made up of one kind of member, one, would be a monstrosity. Could you imagine a giant eye walking around? It would just be scary. Second, not only would it be a monstrosity, but it could only do one thing. An eye can only see, an ear can only hear. What would be the point of a whole body being an eye or an ear? Diversity is necessary for the body of Christ to operate in fullness of health for the glory of God. Brothers and sisters, what that means is that a healthy church then needs diverse people, backgrounds, and gifts. We need people who encourage 
We need people who exhort. We need people who are hospitable, people who correct, people who help. Could you imagine a church filled with just exhortation? We'd be filled also with discouragement. We need people with a variety of gifts so that we're all built up towards maturity in Christ. Our ability to function effectively depends on the diversity of God's good gifts to his local church. Now, there's a couple of things that this means. First, it means that there's no room for Christians to be on the fringes. There's no room for that because God has gifted you in a particular way that is a blessing to those around you, in a way to bless, to serve, and to love other members of a local church. When you remain far off, you are keeping fullness of health and function from a local church. You are doing a disservice to your brothers and sisters. Also, you can't discover your God-given gift in isolation from God's body. Because it's easy to assume you have a particular gift when you're not interacting with anyone. But it's also easy to overlook the God-given gift that you have when you're not interacting with anyone. You might believe you don't have a particular gift, but when you interact with God's people, they're like, you can teach. You can encourage your hospitable. And then you're built up. You know what you're called to do in a way that can be a blessing to his people. If you want to know how God has blessed you be, and to, to be a blessing to others, you need to plug into his body. Second, whatever your gift is, you need to exercise it with humility. See, there may be a temptation to comparison and jealousy, but the reminder that Paul gives us here is that the body needs all of its members so that the whole body can function and work to the glory of God. See, the ear needs to be an ear, because if it ceases to be an ear, how can you hear? The eye needs to be an eye, because if it doesn't, how can you see? We need the body to function in the way that God has gifted you so that it can function well. Paul goes on to say and make it clear that this diversity of gifting, of backgrounds of people that make up this local church didn't happen by chance. It's not that the church opened its doors and the diverse people walked in. No, look at verse 18. But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. Our role, our place, our function in the local church didn't happen by chance. It was sovereignly arranged by God. He arranged it so that the body could function and serve effectively together, to be a witness to those around them, but to the glory of God. In his wisdom, God graciously gives his church a diversity of gifts so that the whole body can move towards greater sanctification and maturity in a way that wouldn't be possible if everyone had the same gift, if everyone had the gift of encouragement, but no one could exhort, maturity would be limited. Paul, God in his wisdom arranges a diversity of gifts so that true maturity and sanctification is possible. Brothers and sisters, this means that God didn't make a mistake in giving you the particular gifts and abilities that you have. He didn't make a mistake. 
No matter what you might be led to believe, God sovereignly arranged that the gifts and the abilities that you have in his wisdom would be best for you, best for the body, and would bring him the greatest glory. Here's another reality. Because God is the one who arranges the members of the body in a way that he chooses, in a way that seems fit for his greatest glory and for our greatest good, God is the one then who can meet the needs that come up in our church. Now, God can do this in a variety of ways. He can do this by rearranging the members of the body, using believers in new ways, or by giving new gifts or new members to fit the needs of the church. So, friends, our response then when we see holes and needs in our church should be that of prayer to the one who sovereignly arranges the body. He's the one who gives good gifts to his people. He's the one who arranges his body so that it can function well. But it also means this, that we are content with where we're at. Because what we have now is what God determines in his wisdom is best for our situation. But that doesn't mean that we don't stop praying. We ask God to supply where we see areas of need. And here's the thing. Maybe you're that answer to prayer. Plug in, participate. Not only does God bring about diversity intentionally, Paul goes on to tell us that God strategically composed dependency in our church. God strategically composed dependency in our church. Look at verse 21. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Paul is showing us that where there is diversity, there can be a temptation towards comparison. And when we do compare, in our pride, we can think we have no need of that other person. But this is foolish, as Paul says. He goes on to say in verse 22, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. Verse 24, which are more presentable parts do not require. When it comes to our own physical bodies, even the parts that seem weaker or unpresentable are still indispensable and significant for the health of our bodies. Think of this, the heart is seemingly weaker than the ribcage or more fragile. The brain is seemingly more weak and fragile than the spine. Yet the heart and the brain is what makes the whole body run. Yet the heart needs the ribcage and the spine for protection and integrity. There isn't one part of the body that can simply be done away with. It's the same in the church. All the parts are needed and necessary. Now I'm going to say it because some of you are thinking it. There is no appendix in the body of Christ that can be removed. God has arranged it in such a way that all the parts are necessary. We were thinking it had to be said. What that means for us, then, is that there is no redundant Christians. There is no member to whom we can look at and say, we have no need of you. 
There are no gifts that are lesser or not needed for the beauty and the flourishing and the the vitality of his body. Each believer and their gifts are beneficial and necessary for the health and fullness of God's body, the church. The church needs the contribution and the participation of each member. Now, for that to happen well, as a church, we need to be willing to give opportunities and space for new members to come in, to exercise their gifts, and to come alongside them to help discover what those gifts and their place in the body might be. This also means that there is no room for pride or for exclusion. If God has brought someone to be part of the body, God has given us a good gift in them. God is using them to bless our body and for all of our sanctification. There is no Christian who walks into this room, this sanctuary, who becomes part of our church that we can say we have no need of you. Each believer is a kind gift of God to all of us for our greater maturity and participation in God's blessing for us. Well, Paul goes on. Look at verse 24 again. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. Not only does God sovereignly arrange that diversity, but he also sovereignly composes interdependency. He designed the church in this way for a reason. Look at verse 25. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. God strategically arranges this dependency between members of the church so that there would be no division and that there would be positively growing mutual concern for one another. In God's wise design, our fellowship, our belonging to one another is one of God's ordained means of grace to you, by which you participate in God's blessings to you in Christ and grow in sanctification and maturity. And this reality, Paul tells us, kills strife and division, but also nurtures care and love for one another. Well, how? Well, it kills division and strife because if the reality is that every believer is a kind gift from God for greater blessing, you'd be foolish to turn that down. Even that fellow member that you have nothing in common with, maybe they've hurt you or there hasn't been any talking between you for a while. Paul says, God tells us they are a blessing to you. You're dependent upon them for greater sanctification. You're depend- you need them so that you can participate more in God's blessings for you in Christ. It is foolishness to continue in division and strife. In God's wise design, he's created us dependent on each other, so it gives us reason to be quick to reconcile, to lay down pride, to lay down division. But it also fosters mutual care and love for one another. Why? Because the vitality and the maturity of those around you means the vitality and maturity of yourself. The more you pour into others, the more you can receive because you are dependent upon them and they are dependent upon you. You need them, they need you. Look at verse 26. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, 
all rejoice together. This divinely composed diversity not only prevents strife and division and produces a growing love and concern for one another, but it also leads to a sharing in one another's joys and sorrows. Friends, this is a reminder. Paul is showing us the reality that the Christian walk isn't just smooth sailing. It's filled with hardships and excitement, tears and laughter, heartache and joy. And in God's abundant kindness to you, you don't have to do it alone. In God's kindness, he has given us the body of Christ to carry one another's burdens, but also to celebrate in life's greatest joys. Now, this won't happen on its own. We need to put the work in. We need to know each other. We need to pray for one another. We need to sing loud for the edification of our brothers and sisters around us. We need to counsel each other. We need to visit and sit with one another. There's power in your presence. Many of you are doing this really well. And because of this, you are walking in God's good design and strategic, wise design for his church by caring and supporting the brothers and sisters around you. But the challenge to others then is this. Commit to and participate. Be a member that supports and cares for the body, but also receives support and care for the, from the body. Because the reality, as Paul shows us, is that storms and hardships are coming they are guaranteed, and you don't want to face them alone because God never designed it that way for Christians. God never intended for you as a believer to face these things alone. He has given you his people to support you. In God's infinite and perfect wisdom, the church, which is his body, united together by his spirit, made diverse in strengths and gifts and perspectives and experiences by his sovereignty and made interdependent on one another is one of God's means by which we are sustained and carried to the very end. And the sure promise is this, that you will make it to the end. Why? Because though we are the body, the head of this body is none other than Christ. Here's what Paul says in his letter to the Ephesians. Christ, who is seated at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come, he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. The one who conquered everything, the one who reigns supreme and sovereign over all things has been given as head to his body, the church. So we as his body have no reason to fear or to hesitate or to worry that yes, hardships are coming and in his grace, he's given us one another so that we can spur one another on till we make it home. But the guarantee of us making home, making it home is not the strength of our brothers and sisters, but it's because the one who reigns over it all is head over the church. God strategically put his church together. And when we follow his plan, we can maintain something that lasts and experience blessing and fullness here. 
but because Christ is our head who preserves us and keeps us to the very end, we know that we will make it home. And there is fullness of joy and blessings at his right hand forevermore. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the work that you have done in us by your spirit, by uniting us to your, to your son and in uniting us to your son, you have united us to your people. We pray that you would grow us in greater awareness of the blessing that you have given to us in our brothers and sisters. That as we com commit and participate as we love one another, as we celebrate each other's highs and, and lows, as we share in each other's joys and hardships, as we carry one another on, as, as we make this pilgrimage home, we pray that you'd also remind us that we are promised that we will make it home because Christ is our head. So we long for that day where we'll be with you forever. But until we do so, help us to love one another and carry one another until we make it there. We pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen. For more resources or information about Hope Church, visit hopetorontonorth.com.